Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. Coming up on the show, we'll speak to Tom Drews from Guernsey Athletics about Cameron Chalmers' efforts at Tokyo 2020 as the local 400-metre star prepares to round off his games in the men's relay. Plus, a bit of fun or the future of the sport. We'll recap the first week of the new 100 Challenge as Guernsey's cricketers try their hand at the game's newest format. And we'll reflect on another piece of silverware or should that be woodware, uh, for Griffins after they sealed the Roselle Shield. Uh, I'm Tony Kerr, and alongside me today, I've got Gareth Leprevo. Welcome back, Tony. And Jamie Ingrall. <laughs> Welcome back, Tony. <laughs> Thanks very much, yeah. Uh, while I've been away, island sport hasn't stopped, hopefully. There's Think- been plenty of it going on, yes. <laughs> So this will be as new to me as, uh, as everyone listening, I'm sure. Um, let's get on to the Olympics uh, in a moment. But first, Jamie, I gather you managed to pip another uh, former Team GB 400 meter runner uh, to the line in yesterday's town relay. Tell us about that. Um, I'm still awaiting the official outcome of that, <laughs> to be fair. Um, it's due to the like, intricacies of chip timing, but I believe I did have a spins off of Dale Garland. The possibility is that he'd come past me, sort of written me off, which is a fair decision. And I think I may have just pipped him to the line with one last resurgence. This was at the Interfirm Relays, where he, he started off the leading team, which was the Fire and Rescue Service. I was representing Guernsey Press, one of our two teams, having worked quite hard to try to put two teams together. But great experience. Yeah, very good, very yeah, good. You were very confident you'd beaten him first thing this morning, Jamie. You seem to be doubting yourself now. Yeah, really rowing back. <laughs> no, it's uh, yeah, very good effort. I'm sure the uh, the roaring crowd uh, brought you home, did it, up Smith Street? Uh, yes. I do need to clarify, this was over a mile, uh, over 400 metres. There would have been no contest. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of fun. Enjoy it, enjoy it. Chalk it up. Put that, put that one on the honours board here at the press. Um, yeah. Well, let's move on to uh, slightly bigger um, yeah, circumstances, bigger events. The Olympics, of course, um, I was going to say well underway, almost over in Tokyo. Yeah, we've had three Bailiwick stars in action over there. A bit of a mixed bag for them. Heather Watson's stay was a fairly short one. She lost in the first round of the women's signals tennis. Uh, Carl Hester Sarks. Carl Hester, however, uh, is now a three-time medalist after taking bronze in the team dressage. Uh, it's becoming pretty routine to hear about a Carl Hester Olympic medal, which is quite something, isn't it, Gareth? Yeah, I suppose um, it's uh, when he, nowadays he goes to the Olympics um, as among the favourites. I remember when he f- sort of first started out back in the nineties, he, he sort of um, was just there as part of the experience. But now he's just um, just a quality rider who just seems to keep on producing along with the rest of his team and obviously um, Charlotte Desjardins who won another um, individual medal as well to make her the most decorated female British athlete ever. That's her, um, uh, Carl is her mentor as well so he's got a lot of um, uh, a lot of pride coming his way from, from Sark and the rest of the bailiwick. And I think we'll reflect a bit more on Carl Hester's achievements on the pod uh, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, it is quite remarkable really and obviously in the saddle he's done so much but out of it as well in terms of his influence on on British dressage um yeah it's a a seriously weighty one and by the sounds of it he might still be eyeing up another games as well in Paris uh in three years time I don't see why not I mean it's one of those things that um he was very pleased with um his horse's performance out in Tokyo and it's a pretty inexperienced horse as like most of the rest of the GB team was so I, I think they they must have high hopes for perhaps improving on that team bronze um come Paris yeah, and he was already 
Britain's oldest Olympian uh, there in Tokyo. Um, so yeah, uh, go he's still here. got many more years left in him. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, good on him. Well, let's look at Cameron Chalmers then, Jamie, um, because yeah, a new face uh, in terms of Bailiwick Olympians in that small elite club, um, and he went in the mixed four by four hundred relay uh, on the first weekend of the athletics. Uh, obviously, a new event in Tokyo, a new event for the Olympics uh, this year. And even though GB couldn't quite get in the mix in the end, he definitely did Guernsey proud. Oh no, definitely. Um, it was a surreal experience for me personally, just watching this guy who's two days older than me, went to Elizabeth College, he's leading off the GB team in the first ever competition of a mixed relay at the Olympics. Uh, he's like gesticulating to the camera and everything. It's, yeah, it's a real surprise. But yeah, he did both Guernsey and Great Britain proud. He played his part in setting an actual British record in his heat. But it was so fast and competitive at the front, but even that didn't actually qualify them automatically. They placed fourth in their heats. They managed to get food for final, and they placed a quite respectable sixth, with uh, Cam playing a very different role. He sort of top and tailed the whole performance, because in their final, he was playing anchor lag and fast run, sub 45 seconds. Yeah, all impressive stuff. Yeah, it just goes to show, I guess, the sort of versatility uh, you know, of him as, a, as an athlete, but also... Um, yeah, the sort of place, the role he's playing in that GB uh, kind of relay squad that you know he'd been trusted to lead off in the heats and then and then anchor the final. And there was, it was a bit of a kind of convoluted roller coaster of emotions leading up to it, wasn't there? In terms of um, sort of disqualifications for the US and Dominican and the Dominican Republic, which were were then uh, rescinded. Um, so it looked at one stage like GB, yeah, you know, might be in really with a really good medal shout. There were quite actually quite a few ifs because uh, GB did effectively lose their best runner. Uh, we, we would say, uh, Matt Hudson-Smith, due to injury in the build-up. So if he was there, they could have gone slightly faster. If the Dominican Republic and the USA had not been reinstated, then I would have genuinely loved to have seen the outcome of that. But yeah, I think GB did a real good account of himself. Well, let's uh, hear now from uh, Guernsey Athletics Development Officer Tom Drew, someone who's obviously worked very closely uh, with Cameron as he's been growing up, but uh, now over the last year with, with Cam and uh, his brother Ala, you know, having been back in Guernsey, uh, training ahead of these Olympic Games. Um, yeah, Tom Drees has uh, had the chance to, to work very, very closely with uh, someone who is now obviously an elite athlete. Uh, I spoke to him a little bit earlier on and just asked him to uh, reflect on Cam's performances at the Olympics so far. I think it's been a really good performance by Cam individually. I think, uh, you know, the way he set them up in the heat was exactly what we've come to expect from him now on, on the first leg of 4x4s. He he ran, um, I think it was a 45-8 um, relay leg with a with a woman going out from the changeover, which would have maybe lost a tenth or so, um, you know, compared to normal. So, yeah, I think he, he's going to know that you know he, he's done the, done the job for the team there. And then, um, uh, to be honest, I was I was really really impressed with him. I was, uh, you know, it was really nice to see the way he executed that that anchor leg in the final because um, I think the team, I think the. British athletics, I think they rolled the dice a little bit by making the two changes they did. And to be honest, the you know they they probably didn't play out the way they'd hoped, and they weren't able to set Cam up as they'd have wanted. And uh, you know I would I wouldn't have enjoyed the position they put him in because he was so far off the leading pack uh, in no man's land, as he, he said to me himself after the race, and uh, with one of the best relay runners in the world on his tail, Kevin Kevin Borle of Belgium, and. Um, it's a bit of a thankless task, really, and so uh, I think to run 44.79 on uh, on anchor leg in those circumstances, I was, uh, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's an amazing performance, and 
and I know he was he was really he was, he was proud that Great Britain team wanted him in in that position because if they had got where they wanted to be and um, he'd have been in the scrap for the medal and you know they obviously trusted him with that responsibility which which I know he was um you know he was really pleased with the fact that they they did trust him with that yeah as you say he was left with a fair bit to do um coming into that anchor leg what's it like as a you know when you're in a relay team a four by four team you know you've obviously got to just stand there and, and wait and see kind of what kind of position you're going to be handed the baton in yeah, it's a funny one because um, I mean I, I've never been in a relay of that level, um, obviously. But uh, uh, yeah, you, like you say, you're kind of watching the the um, race unfold really. And when you're on anchor leg, you you watch obviously the first leg and the second leg in full really, and you're sort of processing in your mind, oh, should we be here? Should we be there? And um, yeah, I mean to be frank, he probably he's seen those first two legs and thought, oh, this isn't quite what we need. But um, Emily Diamond did an amazing job on third leg. Um, you know, keep him at you know in the race ahead of Belgium, but then actually it's like I said, being in being in a position where you know you've got this guy who's renowned for his relay running in in Borla right behind you, kind of thinking, oh, thanks Emily, yeah, probably would have rather been like just on his shoulder rather than just in front, but um, but yeah, like, you, you you try and you try and switch off a little bit when when you're watching your third leg runner come into you, you just got to get in the zone and um yeah and not not overthink the position and then you just got to let your instincts take over once you've got the battle in hand really yeah and what was it like for you watching cam yeah just get out there and and yeah be part of that gb squad at uh, what is obviously the, the the pinnacle level obviously a new event for the olympics um this time around and and probably one that will i guess create a fair bit of excitement going forward by the looks of things um but yeah for you how special was it just to see him out there and, and performing at you know at the level that he he would like to yeah, I think it's um, obviously it's been a long time coming because I think, as he said himself, it's uh, you know the, the Tokyo Olympics is one he's been targeting for a while, and then that that year delay, that extra year, feels like quite a long time. <laughs> so um, because he kind of had his breakthrough, it, it must have been just after the last Olympics. So it's uh, it, he's ended up almost waiting longer than most to, to get his chance. But uh, yeah, no, it, it was great to see, and um, uh, you know I've said before, I feel I feel extremely fortunate this year to have. Um, you know the circumstances of him being based on Ireland, and um, you know me getting to to oversee the training, and um, you know in, in a is a really privileged position because his his coach from the UK is setting the program, and then um, you know, so uh, I, I don't, I'm not charged with that sort of extra <laughs> um, responsibility and accountability, if you like, and I just get to do the the, the fun bit and sort of you know, try and coach him through the sessions themselves. So um, yeah, it's been uh, it's been an amazing experience. For, for me, um, you know, the sort of, the sort of thing that in my job, obviously, the development athletes is usually the, the key aspect for me. So to actually work with genuine elite athletes, um, been really, really good. And yeah, so to actually watch him out there um, performing on the world stage was um, yeah, it was a very, very proud moment as well for me personally. But I think the club, the club as a whole, um, you know, we can see from our social media interactions and stuff that really, really got behind him and everyone recognizes the you know the genuine level we're talking about here of course because you can't fail to not when it's um, the olympic games you'll really be able to hold up cam and say look this guy was uh, just training on this track you know a few weeks ago and here he is on your screens kind of um yeah with a gb vest on and, and, and doing the business yeah and no, i think he's always been really good at that because um uh, he's or he's always spoken well as you know yourself i mean he's been he's been on here um, maybe once or twice i think and he always talks about how proud he is to represent guernsey and to represent guernsey athletics as well and and, and saying how much you know the, the clubs helped him and his brother come through um come through our system and, and things like that and uh you know i, I really 
value that because I think um, you know when you get to that level, um, you know maybe some other Guernsey sports people don't um, sort of you know call back to Guernsey as as much um, as him and Al attend to, you know, and and really never forget their roots. And you know, I, I know there was a quote which I think um, I, I think you guys put up on on your Facebook saying where. He's representing Great Britain. He's representing Great Britain, but he feels like he's representing Guernsey out there just as much. And um, that's you know that's lovely to hear, really, and that really makes it easier actually to use him and and Alar as examples for for the kids to look up to. And you know, and and the fact that they they race in Guernsey as well um, when it fits in with their with their program. And uh, we saw him obviously open a season in Guernsey, which which is really good because now we can again points to the kids that he literally raced here back in back in may whenever it was and now he's he's out there in tokyo so and of course we've still got the the men's relay to come um with uh, the heats on friday and final on saturday um, when will we know whether cam's part of that squad and part of that team um and and how do you expect him to go well, and gb to go in that um, well, I think we'll find out. Um, so that they're, they're going to be lunchtime, hour time, which means they'll they'll get told. Well, there's evening their time, so they'll get told. I think in the morning or or the night before. So we probably won't find out officially until the kind of we wake up um, tomorrow, Friday, um, if he if he's named. But I think realistically, um, uh, he's the strongest. The strongest guy in that team, um, so they're going to need him. <laughs> to be honest, uh, I mean, obviously Nick Baker beat him at the trials, and you know, fair play to Nick Baker, uh, amazing breakthrough um, for him. But uh, I think, um, I think Cam, you know, we we know and Great Britain know that he, he's the strongest guy in that team, and um, they're going to definitely require um, his his speed and in that heat if they're to have any chance of getting into the final. So um, uh, yeah, in, in terms of what chances they have, I think. I think he was most excited to get in that mixed relay probably because realistically that was the chance for the medal. I think the men aren't looking as strong this year overall. Um, the fact that, to be honest, he, the fact that he's the strongest male in that team um, probably says quite a lot because normally in the past you've got one one of them's a 44 runner uh, in the team, you know, and as we know, he, he sort of runs, he's running 45 um, high most of his races at the moment. So, yeah, they're going to need they're going to need to all pull together and um, produce something special to 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 make the final. I think, but once you're in the final, anything can happen, as we know. It's relays. Um, but I think that I think for him, he's got to concentrate on his own his own task as much as he can. And um, yeah, I, I think we'll just keep an eye on that. And then if the team happens to pull together and sort of surpass my expectations, then that'll be great. But um, yeah, I'm gonna have my eyes firmly fixed on like how he does and. I think it's just going to be a good experience for the future, hopefully, and hopefully some you know, some maybe stronger relay uh, teams could come out in the next year or two. Yeah, awesome. We'll be watching closely. And just finally, before we let you go, Tom, um, what's left of the local athletic season? Have we got more to look forward to? Uh, yeah, so we've got a um, uh, little bit of a break in terms of track um, stuff this month. So we've got um, I've got a couple of field fests, and then we've got two closing track meets in um, early September. So, um, but yeah, it's been a very successful. Uh, local season been been quite happy with how it's gone and uh, you know bearing in mind that it's been really important to have these local opportunities because of the lack of lack of travel ups now um, yeah it's, uh, it's it's been a very successful season all around.
Welcome back to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. That was Tom Druce from Guernsey Athletics there. So Cam Chalmers second and final event at Tokyo 2020 begins on Friday uh, with the heats of the men's 4 by 400 meter relay. GB go in heat one at 25 past 12 uh, in the afternoon hour time. Two heats uh, in this one with the first three teams from each going through to the final on Saturday along with the next two fastest. Uh, just before we finish on the Olympics, I wanted to mention San Marino. I don't know if you've uh, been following their progress too closely uh, but uh, yeah San Marino a country with a population of 33,000 or so sent a team of five to the Olympic Games and they've won three medals they've won three now though I didn't realize they won I knew they'd won their first ever one I yeah it's quite remarkable really yeah. so they, they um, have taken bronze in the shooting in the individual event uh, a bronze in the wrestling and a silver in the mixed team trap shooting and uh, as we're recording this they sit above Nigeria Mexico Finland uh, and some other quite large nations in the medals table, which is quite great, remarkable. That's a great story, especially when it comes to sort of like the medals table. I know at one point after about day five, um, there, was, there was this thing that um, if you came from GB and your name was Tom, you were about seventh in the <laughs> medals table because they had Tom Daly, Tom Dean, all these Toms winning gold. And they, they would have been above most of the other nations at that point. It was quite remarkable. No, it's awesome. Uh, you know, and obviously Guernsey, you know, we, we're very proud of our, our three uh, Olympians this year obviously can't represent ourselves and fly the Guernsey flag but um, yeah San Marino showing it uh, showing it sort of how it's done for the small nations and uh, yeah maybe we need to get into wrestling over here I don't know <laughs> maybe some medals to be won I there. think I'd be better off at shooting not the wrestling <laughs> thing <laughs> Oh, well, let's leave it there for the Olympics and turn our attention to cricket because we've seen the conclusion of Evening League Division 1 and the start of another very different but also extremely similar tournament in the form of the 100 Challenge. Um, let's start with the L1, though. Uh, Griffins sealed the Roselle Shield with a comprehensive win over Irregulars in the final week, uh, a game that had been delayed. Indies as well, their main rivals for the title, also had a game delayed and were, were waiting on wanting them to slip up uh, for, for their chances to, uh, to greatly improve of, of landing that title. Uh, but any hint of an exciting week for them uh, was squashed pretty firmly as Griffins made it a double, having already won the 50-over weekend league title a few weeks ago. And after that one, Gareth spoke to Griffins captain Tom Kirk and player manager Rob Thompson. Nice to be champions again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, We'll put a bit of pressure on ourselves this week, but yeah, no, happy. We, we've, I think, I think most will agree we deserved it this season. We were really good, unbeaten, but yeah. Um, it, like I said earlier, that we didn't think coming into it that we would be in a position like this. Um, so to to do what we did tonight re was really pleasing. Were you sort of nervous going in tonight? I wasn't. He, no, no. he was. <laughs> no, not no. I think I think we knew if we if we played a proper game of cricket, we. We didn't anticipate that, to be fair, but um, yeah, no, I, we, we know what we need to do. We, we same, same template for most games. It's just another game, really. Uh, but, yeah, he was, he wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> it's pretty comprehensive in the end, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Even he was happy halfway through. Yeah. So yeah, no, I couldn't fault the boy. I think that was probably the best we'd fielded that in the Indies game. Yeah. Um, we just set a really good precedent, really good standard from the start, and, and yeah, I think. We just choked the life out of it in the end. And in terms of the actual sort of campaign as a whole, um, sort of you look at that team photo now, and you look at every face and thinking they've all contributed to this. Yeah, exactly. And and we needed them all as well. They've all stood up when needed. They've all 
made themselves available for various reasons or people have like Tomo's played quite a number of games when he probably sh we wouldn't didn't envisage it but He's first name on the list well yeah exactly the first game we could leave him out today but and but yeah no you've got specific mentions to obviously Dane taking mopping up the wickets he did and Lua for scoring the number of runs but also Damo at the top has been superb with Lua they've got us off to a start in most games and yeah Dane, Dane I think he's country mile ahead at the top to be honest on wickets so yeah happy so a couple more bits are still worth waiting for I think there, there might there is um I think I think we're quite happy with with today. We'll save her today, and then we'll yeah we'll we'll, We've done the we'll, so we'll, far. we'll reassess what else there is. But yeah, we're more than happy. It has been a heck of a sort of group effort. Yeah, and that to be fair, that's the most pleasing part of it. Um, we were talking about some of the games. We feel like we squeaked through a couple on certainly on grass in the second half of the season, but we're never out of a game. Um, and you look at that Indies game, Marcus Thomas coming in and getting us late runs that, that gave us something to walk back out and feel like we could defend. Geordie had three or four knocks at, at number four um, in the second half of the season. He was, he was top run scorer in three games of the last five or six. Um, and, you know, Dane's been a revelation this year and Philpy behind the stumps. You know, we've had no Jason. He hasn't kept a game this season. He, he limped through one game and Philpy's been superb asking him to do that job. Um, and yeah, just just an all-round effort, and that's something that's ingrained within the club. You know, we all stick together. We're never beaten. Um, we like upsetting the odds and and enjoying it afterwards as well. It's nice to have Damo at the winning roll, runs as well. Isn't it? Really Griffin, nice. Lifelong Griffin. It, it really is. It's. I mean, Christ, it's a role I quite like to play, be able to play myself and, <laughs> and and do something like that. But no, I mean, and that's so sweet. I've you know, given the biggest hug as he's walked off because it's like you said, it's somebody that. Even before this mo this modern era, Griffins, when as we've grown and evolved, he was he was it way before, and you know, and his dad being involved still um, never misses a game. Every single game is here, and he's the first person that buys the, the round afterwards for, for them as a family. And I mean, it is it's 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 moments like that that just make it that bit sweeter. Rather than having the best eleven players that we can get from the island, we've got a family and a club, um, and it, it does it makes it makes it that little bit sweeter. Onwards and upwards for the rest of the season. <laughs> Yeah, it's got to almost reassess now. I think, to be honest, because I mean, the GCA Cup was a late addition, and we weren't we weren't talking about that at all, even before Saturday, because we had this game. Um, and obviously, there's there's some more short format stuff which we can we'll have an en we'll enjoy tonight, um, and then we'll we'll see where we are for those games. But to be honest, these two these are the big two. Um, we didn't expect anything this year. We wanted to keep building, keep the group together, keep the group. Um, improving because it's still a young group, um, but you do look back and you do we we, we have deserved it, um, and to be unbeaten in Division One, certainly this season is is absolutely incredible, um, and yeah the weekend on top of it we got we got the double. Yeah. So. Yeah. so that was Rob Thompson and Tom Kirk uh, speaking to Gareth after Griffins then had sealed the Roselle Shield. I mean. Yeah, 100% record. I don't think anyone can disagree that they were worthy winners this year. No, no, they've definitely been the best side. Um, I mean, they've had out their nine wins, because um, that one game rained off. Um, I would say probably a good half a dozen of those were pretty comprehensive wins. But they also showed that they can sort of get themselves over the line when they're not at their best. Um, obviously, the big game was that uh, game that was moved to a Saturday because of the clash with the Euros when they played Indies. 
And um, yeah, Griffins didn't score a great deal in that, but they managed to defend it. They've bowled really well this year. Um, they fielded well as they did against regulars in that in that title clinching win. They, I mean, they were very dominant in that. But um, yeah, so they've obviously had decent. I mean, I said to Tom Kirk afterwards. So that whole team have contributed to that. I mean, Luke Lissiche has obviously been a star of it. Um, Dane Mullins taken a lot of wickets. Adam Martell's got into the Ireland squad on the back of what he's been doing this season. But just everyone on that side has contributed towards um, towards their double, and you wouldn't really put it past them to go on and add a bit more um, silverware um, with um, the competitions that are left. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of those players. They're obviously um, Luke Letizia with the bat has been. Yeah, uh, you know, it's been a, a real star turn this summer. A, a fantastic strike rate. He hasn't quite finished at the top of the scoring charts, but it's by far the um, by far the fastest scorer. And it's no surprise when you see the way he approaches the game. Uh, and in the bowling department as well, Dane Mullen, um, as you say, finishing top of the wickets table with 19 wickets, uh, an average of 9.79. Uh, are you surprised by his performances this year? Just how? effective he's been um certainly the the amount of wickets he's taken does surprise me to a degree but i i mean i'm a great believer that in guernsey you shouldn't really overthink things in cricket and and dane bowls line and length bowls it full bowls it straight and when he's bowling in evening league people are generally going to be trying to attack and it is a simple case of if you miss i'll hit and he's done that all season and he's reaped the rewards of it. And um, that's pretty much how sort of Griffins play. They haven't got sort of outstanding quick bowling now that Nick Buckle's spending most of his time at university. Um, so they're very much sort of spin and medium pace reliant and they all do their jobs. And certainly um, the grass probably suits them better. Um, but they've also shown they can certainly adapt to the mat as well, which um, I think probably helps Luke with some of his stroke play, which just continues all season. It's been phenomenal. Yeah, and you mentioned there are still a couple of pieces of silverware up for grabs. We've got the GCA Cup, which is underway, uh, and this 100 Challenge. Is that, have I given it the right name? Is that what it's the yeah, official it's, title? Yeah, it's the um, 100 Challenge Cup, I think, is the official title they've given it. It's I, better I, than I wasn't the actually sure thing or yeah. whatever it was last when year. When I turned up to the first game, I wasn't actually sure what it was called. I knew, I knew it was sort of following the format of the 100 um, I turned up not exactly knowing what a good score would be um, watching the sort of like the pro version of the 100 about 140 gets you into the game um, over here I think you because oh, they're playing on the mat at the KG5 which is very quick outfield as well I think 150 is probably a good good score there um, Griffin's managed to restrict irregulars down to under 130 and they chased it relatively comfortably um, and I think they will. They must be still favourites of probably add that trophy. But it was great um, last night on Wednesday night seeing the young optimist side who had gone ten defeats out of ten games in the evening league this season um, win a, a very very tight thrilling game against um, Indies um, with a bowling attack of all juniors. They're all under 18s and. Um, that's the way Opti's have decided to go this year and fair play to them. They're, they're getting really valuable experience. They could have won a couple of their evening league games. It was not as if they were getting hammered every week. Um, but they um, they bowled and fielded really well after quite a poor sort of... I can't call them overs now, can I? It's uh, sets of five. Uh, the first couple of sets of five, I think there are a few nerves as when you're facing up to Zach Damrell and Matt Stokes, that's going to happen. But... Um, they pulled it back really well. Ben Johnson took four wickets. He's going to be a really good bowler. He's um, left-arm seamer. His brother Max is couldn't have been more contrasting because he's a right-arm leg spinner, but they both bowled very well. Peter Birch bowled well. 
um, as did the rest of the um, the bowling attack. And um, yeah, Miles Birch managed to get a half century in at the start of the reply. Alex Bushell did what he did and chipped in with a few lusty blows early on and got them down to run a ball. And in that format of the game, you should be scoring a run a ball quite well. You should be getting run a ball quite comfortably at the end. And so they, yeah, they managed to get over the line with a few balls to spare, and it was just really good. And, and it was great to see the the joy they got from that as well. Yeah, fantastic! Congratulations to them. Um, it is obviously very early days. We've only had a couple of games so far in this this new format. Uh, I'm sure a few people will have been checking in on how it's going over in England. You know, with the, with the sort of glitz and the the blockbuster nature of the hundred. Yeah, there. I think for the batsmen, there's not much difference to be honest. Basically, you just go out and have a blast. Um, the bowlers are finding out that you basically got to stay warm because if if a one set of five goes wrong the captain can be calling on you at very short notice and I know that um, basically Tom Kirk spent most of Tuesday night just saying everyone get ready to bowl because they weren't quite sure what would be needed in the next set of five so um, it's certainly a bit different um, but I've actually quite enjoyed it so far the two games I've seen have been it's just the intrigue of something fresh something new um, and being an even shorter format there's always the chance of an upset you know it only needs one or two people to come off and anyone can win on on the day so um, yeah I'm looking forward to see how it develops over the next couple of weeks as well yeah brilliant well we won't make any rash judgments about whether it's the, the future of the sport locally uh, we'll see how it plays out over the next few weeks Chaps, we haven't really done sort of picks of the week this week, but um, a quick uh, moment to highlight, Gareth, I think, saying on the theme of cricket. Yeah, um, it's, it's a bit of a, a quandary. I almost wanted to pose you the question, Tony, or someone the question. It was um, from the first GCA Cup game a couple of weeks ago. Um, I wanted to highlight the sportsmanship shown by Wanda's regulars. They very, very kindly sort of offered to loan a fielder to Griffins after... Dane Mullen, um, he took a cut to the head and he sort of went off to get some stitches, I think, at a hospital. So Griffin's lost a fielder for basically the best part of 20 overs or so. And Wanda's Irregulars, um, Captain Lucas Barker, very kindly sort of put himself forward to field for a while and then they sort of swapped a few people around and they kept... But uh, actually got to the stage at one point where sort of late in the innings... Um, Wanderers Irregulars obviously batting at this time and they go for a quick single and the ball fell to the, their sub-fielder Ben Vensel who probably without really thinking I don't know but he sort of he swooped on it direct hit big appeal from the rest of the Griffins um, fielders while he had his head in his hands realising what he had done because he'd sort of tried to run out one of his teammates in his own way um, so it's, it's a real sort of conundrum I mean it, it's a re- very sporting thing to do but if you're the fielder in that position it sort of puts you right under the cosh of, I'm not sure if I should be fielding properly here. And, um, yeah, having spoken to um, my brother, who's a former Ireland captain, he he actually said, yeah, I I wouldn't want one of my team in that position, even though it's an unfortunate position. So would would you send a sub-fielder out when when the opposition has lost one to an injury? That's very tricky. Did you say as well he he let out a sort of a a cry of, oh, no? (laughs) Well, he actually put, as soon as the ball hit the stumps, he put his head in his hands, realising what he'd done. Um, Fortunately, I I think the batsman might have been Charlie Vorster, but the batsman had made his ground, um, and that was for sure. But it's one of those things. I mean, if you're the the sub-fielder and a guy in your team, say, hits a catch to you, you don't want to deliberately drop it because that, that would just be dreadful. But, 
you don't really want to be in that position either way, really. Yeah, you wonder if it had been given out, you know, the sort of tr- traditional celebration of the players sort of gathering to, uh, to, to congratulate see the fielder, each other. fielder wandering up to the batsman apologising profusely <laughs> for running him out. Interesting, though, wasn't it? Uh, the shoe was on the other foot, I think, earlier in an evening league game this season where Wanderers lost the fielder and Griffins refused or rejected the uh, the call to put one on. Yeah, I, I think um, Lucas was sort of in that position again where he was captain saying, can we have a subfielder? And I think Griffins were in the position and they almost understandably said no. I mean, it is so hard to say what's right and what's wrong. Um, as it turned out, I think in that um, scenario, uh, the Wanderers... Uh, scorer ended up sort of coming onto the field after a sort of an over, so they did have the full complement of fielders. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's a really difficult one to say what's right and what's wrong, really. An interesting one. Um, we'll come back to you in a moment to look ahead to the weekend. Jamie, what have you got on the schedule this weekend? So over the course of Friday night and Saturday, we will have a Guernsey Grand Slam of darts. Adam Gontier will be having a busy weekend, doubling up his organiser and defending champion. Uh, wish him luck. We've got some... We've got some great competitive depth for Monks Guernsey's top dart players, so it'll be interesting to see who comes out on top. Where does the Grand Slam fit into the uh, the sort of darts calendar locally then? Is it is it the one that players want to win? Uh, it's a relatively new competition. It takes place during the summer, which is not prime darts season, but I'm sure like it's got a prestigious title. People want to win it. It's a good thing to claim to have won. Yeah, we'll look out for some coverage uh, in the pages of the Guernsey Press uh, over the next few days. Uh, Gareth, big weekend for golf at Lancrest? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's already been a big week. We had the final of the Scratch League on Monday when um, Lancrest just edged out um, the Royal, which is always a bit of a grudge match, especially when it's sort of like the category one, the best players on the island. But it is a really good game and um, it finished 16-13 to Lancrest, so they retain that trophy. Um, one of the Royals' winners in, on that night, though, was uh, Daniel Griggs, who will be defending both titles at, um, at the Lancress Open on Saturday. He won the Scratch Prize as well as the overall Open last year when it was played in pretty foul conditions. So it wasn't a surprise that one of the island's best ball strikers and best players came out on top. Um, hopefully this weekend, the, for- the forecast isn't brilliant, but hopefully it'll be better conditions. I don't think the wind's going to be too strong. There might be a few showers around. But um, there's a full field of, um, there's 49 matches of threesomes going out. So, um, yeah, there's going to be plenty of golf there and we'll see who comes out on top. Yeah, in terms of the Scratch League then, um, obviously, yeah, it sort of pits the, the island's best against each other uh, in a match play format. Yeah, there's uh, two foursomes, two singles and a four ball sort of rubber in each match. Um, it was the league was designed sort of five six years ago now to to help the island manager or captain as they call him in um, giving the best players more experience certainly at foursomes they don't play that very often um, and just get our best players playing face to face against each other more often and it, it's very popular amongst the players. Um, as uh, the island manager Dave Jeffrey says, you turn up knowing that you're going to be playing someone in, in one of the best players in the island, whoever you're drawn against. Um, so it really does um, uh, test them every time. <laughs> it seems that most, pretty much every match this year has been in awful cold conditions, and even the final was pretty chilly up at Langcrest. But the players have risen to it, and um, uh, the, the Royal yet again finished top of the pile in the round robin, and they played really well, and then. Lancrest um, just peaked at the right time and um, yeah came out on top in the final, deservedly so, just about. Yeah, and is it you know you say it, you know it was sort of created to help kind of um, 
foster that real competitive experience that that players that the players will want and need coming up to interests and whatnot. But it, has it become a, a competition that, that the local players really want to win in its own right now? Oh, too right, yeah. Um, certainly, I know how much the the Royal hated. They'd won the first four editions, and they they hated losing the trophy last year, and they were desperate to get it back this year. And to fall just short, um, <laughs> I know they weren't pleased. Um, <laughs> how the competition is going to develop in the next couple of years is a bit uncertain because of the sort of developments at Grand Mar that there might need to be a few alterations in terms of format and, and how and where the games are played. But um, it will certainly continue in some form um, because it, it, it just gives them that extra competitive edge in formats, that say, certainly that the foursomes, they don't play very often. And, and it's good to see different partnerships tried out and coming to the fore. Certainly, I mean, on Monday, Jamie Bond all played alongside Arthur Evans. And they played a couple of times this year, but it's the first time they have. And they came up with a huge win on the night, on the last green, which basically set Lancres up for their overall victory. But stuff like that, they probably, I mean, an island manager wouldn't know who plays well together unless you had competitions like that throughout the season and not just once a year against Jersey in, in September. Oh, great stuff. Uh, that's all, I think, from us for now. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, with another Guernsey Press Sport podcast. And the, the football shows on a Monday won't be too far away either because uh, uh, the Rawlinson Cup is in it's full swing. It's already. Yeah. <laughs> it's underway. Uh, yeah, football is not too far away uh, now. Um, in the meantime, do give us a follow if you're not already on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at GSY Press Sport is the place to go. And uh, if you so wish, uh, give us a rating and review wherever you're listening to this uh, on your podcast player. It all helps. And do make sure to hit follow and subscribe too. Uh, Thanks very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Cheers, Tony. Cheers. Cheers.